the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Mike Gallagher, congressman from Wisconsin, is the fastest man in Congress, though I believe he has to defend his title fairly soon. Is the Nike Challenge coming up pretty soon? I'm sure it's called the Nike Challenge anymore, congressman. It's called the ACLI Challenge, and I believe it's set for September. So I have a little bit of time to train, and I have lost a step. So open invitation to Tom Cotton and any other challengers if they want to you know, step up to the plate and make this a, a, a fun competition. Uh, you got some months to get ready. You know, it's a 5K race, and that's why you're good at it. If it was a 10K and it involved a fourth mile, you wouldn't run. I mean, you'd be like the Packers. You'd go off the course at mile four, right? How dare you, Hugh? It is true, however, <laughs> over over three miles. That is true. I'm, you go fourth I'm, mile, you go away. <laughs> over three miles, I'm useless. The Marine Corps, it's three miles, and anything longer than that, I just, you know, Gallagher's, like like dwarves in Lord of the Rings, we're good over short distances. Yeah, or, or like the uh, Packers on for three downs out of four. Hey, uh, Congressman, serious stuff. President announced yesterday we're skedaddling from Afghanistan. That was not the Trump plan. The Trump plan was to leave troops at Bagram, as far as I understand it. Now we're not going to do that. What's going to happen to Bagram? It's going to be like uh, Taliban Central. Well, Bagram, I, I think there's a missed opportunity there to talk about the enduring relevance of Bagram, particularly in light of great power competition, right? In other words, if we go to war with China, Bombers coming out of Bagram uh, provide us with a, a, an opportunity to target uh, Western targets for China, including their space and their counter space assets. And I really think as we confront honestly uh, the fact that the American people do want us to responsibly reduce our presence over time, we can have a grown up conversation about where are the areas where we want to leave an enduring presence as we transition to great power competition. And Bagram is one of those. The other thing I'd say is. Um, Putting, setting the date on 9-11-2021, I think, is a really dumb move. I think it hands a PR victory to the Taliban. Um, I think it totally undermines everything that Biden, that Biden said as a candidate, criticizing Trump for politically motivated timelines and not condition-based withdrawal. I think there's other unanswered questions around whether our allies were consulted uh, during this process. The fact that right now they're, they're briefing NATO allies in Brussels suggests that they weren't, that the decision was made without an honest discussion with their allies. The other thing I think we need clarity on is um, how the administration intends to avoid that Saigon moment. Um, With the Taliban already failing to live up to its obligations under the peace agreement, Americans should rightly be concerned both about the fate of the Afghans who stood shoulder to shoulder alongside us for the past 20 years, as well as the potential for the Taliban to harbor terrorist groups once we're out, we will unlikely be able to get back in if needed. I've got Admiral McRaven coming on a little bit later today. He's got his new book out, um, The Honor Code, and I want to talk to him. But I, I, I'm not necessarily convinced that all of Afghanistan is going to fall. I think we're going to end up pretty much with a Kurdistan in the north. And hopefully Kabul stays in free Afghan 
hands, but Hellman and Kandahar look pretty tough. Is that your assessment? I think so. And I just I think we need to be very honest about our interests in the country. Right. Besides the uh, necessity of avoiding another terrorist safe haven that would threaten the homeland, I don't think we have vital interest in Afghanistan. And so, again, we are going to have to focus our resources and our attention on other theaters, the Indo-Pacific. And I'm not suggesting there are easy answers to the Afghan problem, but we have to avoid some politically uh, motivated decision here. And again, I just think the PR win for the Taliban is evident with the way they're setting the date with this uh, with this drawdown. Agree. Now, you mentioned China and Afghanistan. I did earlier in the show. I think of China and Afghanistan having a giant tractor, a giant cat that just goes forward mile by mile and digs up. And they don't care about human rights and they don't care about bad publicity because there is no publicity in China. And they just roll over the people who are in their way and they are pressing Afghanistan from the uh, east, moving west. Are they going to end up being the empire that succeeds where Alexander the Great, Britain, Russia, and the United States have not succeeded? Well, certainly they do think about uh, foreign states as uh, barbarians. So they have a long tradition of what's called barbarian handling, if you sort of dig into Chinese history. And their goal through the Belt and Road Initiative is to create not allies or partners, but vassal states that are entirely dependent upon the Chinese Communist Party for their largesse. And if you look at Afghanistan, what is really interesting is the investments that China has made in Pakistan um, uh, next to Afghanistan, particularly the Gwadar port in Pakistan. China is really trying to build out a series of strategic bases along the Eurasian rimland in order to not only uh, project power, uh, undermine U.S. power projection, in the same process, but to secure their economic interests uh, throughout the region and create dependent vassal states that are entirely uh, sure. at the whim and mercy of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, Congressman, uh, I know you know your history. There's a great book called The Honorable Company, uh, which is about the British East India Company. And they are modeling their empire on the British Empire, which was resource poor and ship rich. And they sailed the world and they had ports everywhere and they had India for great wealth and they had the Middle East for transit. And I just see the British Empire re-emerging in uh, uh, the British Empire with Chinese characteristics, President Xi might say. I like that. I've often thought that there should be a, an HBO show about the British East India Company, that that would be great material for uh, an in-depth uh, uh, show. So there you go, Hugh. That's that's a free idea I, that you can produce on the same. I'm going, going, going forward with that. Let me talk to you about the strangest story of the day. Uh, President Biden doesn't want to leave strategic ambiguity behind unless it <clears throat> applies to Johnson and Johnson, which he trashed yesterday. Their team managed to screw up the entire vaccine rollout. Let's put that aside. He is sending a delegation to Taiwan that he's not sending. It's a non-official delegation with Chris Dodd, who's his good friend and actually carries a lot of weight. If you're talking to Chris Dodd, you're kind of talking to the president. And then for reasons that I do not understand, he's sending Richard Armitage. He of uh, infamous role in the Karl Rove Scooter Libby meltdown that led to the Fitzgerald special counsel because it was Armitage who leaked the name of Valerie Plame and no one ever and Colin Powell and Armitage didn't tell the special counsel or the White House. And we had three years of investigation. Why is Richard Armitage going with Chris Dodd to Taiwan? Why not just say we will meet ship with ship and plane with plane in the defense of Taiwan? 
I have no idea. It makes no sense. And consider the fact that on Monday, 25 Chinese aircraft, including 18 fighters, four nuclear-capable bombers, two subhunters, and an early warning aircraft entered Taiwan's airspace. And this incursion is part of a disturbing trend of increased CCP belligerence toward Taiwan. So far in response, we've seen the administration say some of the right things, but I think this move makes no sense. I mean, for example, Secretary Blinken on Sunday insisted that the U.S. would ensure Taiwan has the ability to defend itself. Well, it would be a great follow-up uh, if they expanded the commitment to help Taiwan to acquire advanced anti-ship cruise missiles, for example, right? And all of this, I think, starts with ending strategic ambiguity. There was a time when it may have served American interests. Let's not forget that part of the rationale behind the policy was the potential if far-fetched, uh, scenario in which Taiwan was the aggressor. But those days are long gone. Taiwan poses absolutely no military danger to the PRC. But every day that Beijing isn't quite sure if an American president would sacrifice American lives to keep Taiwan free is a dangerous day. I actually we're, we're in a, my, Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, we're in a very perilous time. I talked about it yesterday with Cotton and with Admiral Stab and got an interesting conversation thereafter about Whitson Reef. And I wanted to ask you about Whitson Reef because I don't know much about it, except that the PRC are sending all their blue hauls, which is that they're sort of coastal ships, to gather in long lines of ships and defy the Philippines authorities. What do you think we ought to do in response to that? Well, I actually teamed up with some of my colleagues uh, looking at this, the entire Taiwan scenario, um, of which that is a part, to introduce the Taiwan Invasion Prevention Act, which would issue a standing authorization for the use of military force to defend Taiwan. It would take a page out of Cold War history and the standing authorization Congress gave President Eisenhower to defend Formosa. But it's not enough just to talk tough. We need to walk the walk and invest in the defense capabilities which would actually deter the CCP from taking action against Taiwan. Uh, there, too, I'm worried about the follow-through on the part of the administration. In real terms, the defense budget that they just proposed represents a cut from last year, and it's between yep. 25 to $40 billion below where every single bipartisan expert tells us we need to be in terms of maintaining that 3 to 5% uh, real growth. So there's a lot of things I think the administration needs to do in partnership uh, with Congress, and I fear they're going in the wrong direction. Now, it's not anti-climate to invest in hypersonic missiles and anti-submarine technology and in attack some. It's not anti-climate. So we've got $4 trillion in spending with any of it infrastructure to expand Wisconsin's frigate construction capability. Is any of it infrastructure to go into submarine uh, uh, pens in San Francisco at Mare Island? Did any of it go to defense? Now, uh, the infrastructure plan is incredibly reckless, incredibly reckless. It's going to make our infrastructure problems worse because it repeats the failed mistake of the past where we overinvest and we discount the cost of maintaining infrastructure over the life cycle of a project. And the fact is we are spending more in real terms on infrastructure as a percentage of GDP than we were spending in the 1960s. The fundamental problem is our assets are depreciating and crumbling more quickly than they were back then. And this is going to make that problem far worse. There is so many ridiculous proposals in this bill. And, it, it, and now they're coming to us saying, when they have $2 trillion for every grab bag progressive initiative under the sun, that we can't afford to grow the defense budget by three to 5% every year, it makes absolutely no sense. Well, Nancy Pelosi, last question, Congressman. She only has a two vote margin right now. Are there two Democrats like Lurie, 
on your committee. Uh, she's got a new challenger. She's got to deliver some money for the Navy, or she's going to get beat like a drum in that uh, 2022 election. Are there other Democrats who realize they cannot starve defense and will join you in rejecting a, an infrastructure bill that does not fund some defense spending? I hope so. Uh, there's certainly a lot of national security minded Democrats that got elected in 2018 in Trump districts. A lot of them I work with on the Armed Services Committee. Many of them either served in the military, uh, like Representative Luria, or served in the Defense Department, right? Representative Slotkin, who I co chair a task force on supply chain vulnerability with. And so my hope is that um, a lot of those members can step back from this ledge. However, I will admit I, I've been surprised that. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has been able to get near unanimity on some of these very radical proposals, such as H.R. 1, where only one Democrat defected in the vote on the House from an extremely radical centralization and nationalization of our entire election process. Well, that is that, that's a subject for another day. But I am surprised that Democrats who want to get reelected in 2022 have gone that far left. They can come back right on the infrastructure bill. Congressman, look forward to seeing you out there on the byways. Try a fourth mile. Don't be a Packer. Be a Brown. Go the distance. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com. The Congressional Budget Office just released its annual forecast for budgets, debt, and deficits. The news is not good. And even worse than the bad news in the report is the statement of the head of the CBO who admitted that the report didn't include the effects of the recently passed $1.9 trillion stimulus bill, which will make debt even worse. The report had another interesting little observation. CBO admits that our lack of population growth will be a major impediment to growth in the future. If we fall below replacement level, our population shrinks, and it's almost impossible for productivity increases to make up for that. And of course, as we sail into anti-growth policies, we accelerate a decline in productivity. A nation which does not reproduce itself has no vision for the future. A nation that avoids and aborts its children also aborts its economic future. I'm Jerry Boyer. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.